Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast as we head into the stretch run of the NFL season and week 14. There's a huge Sunday night game in Dallas this week. Eagles at Cowboys. And we are going to be joined today by a man who played for the Philadelphia Eagles and now coaches with the Dallas Cowboys. The former 14-year NFL cornerback, Al Harris, who played the bulk of his career in Green Bay, is in the Packers Hall of Fame and has been the Dallas Cowboys secondary coach since 2020, leading a group that includes the likes of Stephon Gilmore, Trevon Diggs, and Deron Bland, potential NFC or NFL Defensive Player of the Year, and they'll have a huge matchup on Sunday night against the Philadelphia Eagles. But first, my friend, my colleague, the host of the Fantasy Focus podcast, and my colleague, Daniel Dopp. Adam Schefter, what is up, my friend? Apologies for not being here last week. I was under the weather, so obviously Christina pulling double duty, going two-way ball, as we say in the sport, playing offense and defense while I was gone. So, Christina, very much appreciate that. Thank you very much. Apologies for not being here, but I am back and ready to get rolling, Adam. Let's get into topic number one. Daniel, first of all, you look good. You sound good. And I officially (laughs) welcome you back as we head into topic one. Perfect. Perfect. I am super glad to be here, Adam. All right. Watching Monday Night Football, a crazy game last night. But the big takeaway, unfortunately, another quarterback injury. This time it was Trevor Lawrence getting rolled up on. It was just brutal. And every time we see it, what do we know right now about what's going on with Trevor Lawrence? Well, you know, a little funny story about Monday night. And it wasn't that funny, but I felt like I was having a dream because I was sitting on my couch. We had a very early start on Sunday for Sunday countdown because of the college football selection show. So they moved up everything in an hour earlier. And the Michigan game went very late Saturday night. And I had some friends over for dinner. I said, what time does the game start? They said, 6.30. I said, come over 6.30. We'll eat. We'll watch the game. We're eating. I'm like, when does this start? They said, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. What? And then as we're getting close to 8 o'clock, I see the countdown to kickoff takers say like 22 minutes. I'm like, when is this game kicking off? So we got a real late start Saturday night, a real early start leaving the house about 4.30 Sunday morning. And I was a little tired, so I dozed off Monday night on the couch, and I woke up, and I saw Trevor Lawrence on the ground writhing in pain. And I'm like, are you serious? Wow. And so we have another quarterback injury. Now, we are taping this at 8.30 a.m. Tuesday morning, and there will be further testing on Trevor Lawrence's ankle. But it sounds like, it sounds like right now, and we'll see if this holds up or not, he's averted a worst-case scenario. It sounds like a sprained ankle. We'll see if and how much time he's going to miss, but the fact that it may not be a season-ending type of injury, at least preliminarily, is very encouraging, and that would be a great sign where we wouldn't have another one of these quarterback injuries. As we look at it all year long, it's been incredible, Daniel. We just keep seeing one after another after another this year. Joe Burrow with the wrist. By the way, on primetime, Kirk Cousins with the Achilles. He got hurt in Green Bay. Daniel Jones, ACL. Kenny Pickett, ankle this past weekend. Anthony Richardson, shoulder. Aaron Rodgers, Achilles, fourth play. Monday Night Football, Deshaun Watson, shoulder. The league can't lose all these quarterbacks and maintain the level of play that it wants that holds people's interest. Now, interestingly enough, the Jaguars are going against the Bengals and Jake Browning last night. Jake Browning was a revelation. Look great. You, could, you couldn't help but feel incredibly happy for a guy who starts a game, goes out, and completes 32 of 37 passes for 354 yards, accounts for two touchdowns, and wins the game for the first time since he was, what, in college at Washington? Unbelievable. He played incredible. And there were people who felt like this guy was capable of doing that. He did it last night. That could be the role model for C.J. Beathard in Jacksonville. Should he now have to replace Trevor Lawrence, whether it's for a game or two or three or whatever it may be? We'll find out here soon enough. But Jacksonville stumbling now to the finish. Teams vulnerable anytime they lose their quarterback. The Steelers lose Kenny Pickett to tightrope ankle surgery on Monday morning. 
And now you've got Trevor Lawrence dealing with an ankle injury. And by the way, I also noticed in the pregame show, he was out there running around. He had a huge brace on his left knee, which he injured earlier in the year. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, we're about six weeks later, roughly. I'd have to go back and look exactly when he hurt the knee. And he still got this huge brace on that knee. And it's always interesting to me because you always hear after the season, oh, this guy played through that. Always. Always, right? Always, And Trevor Lawrence played through something on his knee, and now he's going to have something with his ankle, and we'll see exactly how much damage there is later today. Hopefully he is okay, like you alluded to, Adam. The NFL is just always better whenever we have these young, amazing signal callers under center. It's more fun to watch. So hopefully better days are ahead. Trevor, it will be on the mend, and it won't be long-term. All right. Topic number two for the six-pack, Adam Schefter. We've had some really tough calls by officials lately. I'm going to say that. Whether anyone else says it, I feel like we've had that. Feels like they've just been a more prominent part of the storyline than we want them to be. What do you, Adam Schefter, make of the officiating in the NFL right now? Here's what I would say to you, Daniel. This is absolutely nothing new. It drives coaches and front offices and players crazy but every once in a while we get a game like the one we saw sunday night with green bay and kansas city we're on the final drive there were multiple controversial calls including a pass interference call against marquez valdez scantling that wasn't called that would have given the chiefs a first and goal and given them the chance to win the game and so these officials are making calls that decide games which decide playoff spots, which decides livelihoods and whether teams keep or fire people. And literally, that's how much is hanging on the calls of these officials. Now, a lot of these officials do a really good job, and a lot of them are really good men, and a lot of them have great jobs. They're not full-time employees. But again, the analogy that somebody said to me this week, and I think is very apropos, is that we have coaches putting in 70, 80-hour work weeks. We have players putting in 50, 60 hour work weeks and we have officials putting in, as the league likes to say, roughly eight to 10 hour work weeks. Does that make sense to you, Daniel? That so many people, that so many people could put so much into a game and then Mr. Official, the lawyer from Arizona or Mm -hmm. the accountant from Pittsburgh or whatever it may be, flies in and in a multi-billion dollar business makes calls that impact the futures of other people, which brings us back to the point of having full-time officials, men who are trained to do it. And again, I would say to you this, they have full-time officials in the NBA. They have full-time officials, umpires in baseball. They have full-time officials, referees in hockey. Football, the most popular, the most lucrative, the most widespread sport, does not have full-time officials. They're paid like full-time employees, but they don't do it as a full-time job. And I got one other thing for you. There are some players that struggle post-career. What if we sent them to some training academy and got them involved and had them trained to be officials, right? Like there's so much you could do with this. You could turn a negative into a positive. The fact of the matter is it's not consistent. It's not steady. It's critical to the success and popularity of the sport and there are additional measures whatever the league decides that could be taken to help in this area that there's nothing new about coaches lose their minds over this every week and by the way i would hate to be in the league office the way that mike Pereira once had that job when i worked in the nfl or dean blandino had that job now troy vincent or al riveron they're getting calls every Monday morning from angry head coaches. I can't believe this call. What is your crew doing? What the hell is going on there? Those are regular calls into the league offices from many coaches. And there's a way to work on this. You're never going to make it foolproof, never going to make it 100% successful, but it can be improved. And I think that's what teams, coaches, players, front offices would want and what they deserve. You know what's interesting about what you just said there, Adam, is like I fully agree with you. And here's one of the things that I I, I don't know totally how to quantify. We talk so often about 
how the point and purpose of instant replay is to help maintain the integrity of the game. And this helps the game be more so that we can see stuff and, and know more, make sure the correct calls get made. All we care about is that the correct calls get made. But when we have officials that are making calls that you could go back on instant replay and look at to see how easy and egregious it is, why is that well, not one of the things that we can enter in? And I realize that could potentially slow yeah, the game down. Yeah, but. well, now we're into a whole different competition committee discussion, and they don't want to expand that and slow down the game anymore. And where do you draw the line and how many plays can be reviewed? And I, I get what I you're saying. I don't have the answers. Yeah. Uh, Neither do I, I. But I do know this. There's an issue. There's yeah. a problem. Yes. And the league, which has a lot of problems and addresses proactively and fixes, has another one that it needs to address and fix proactively again. Yep. A lot of really great men and women as the officials of the NFL. Hopefully we can get things tightened up, though, moving forward, especially in the playoffs. All right. Topic number three, Adam Schefter. Tyreek Hill is on 2K Watch. It is in full effect. It To me, as a Lions fan who is very dialed into this, it feels like this Calvin Johnson record is going to be broken. How close are we to 2,000 yards, Adam? And do you think that Tyreek is going to hit this mark. Well, Daniel, if you remember before the season started, Tyreek Hill said 2,000 yards. And I think a lot of people thought, (laughs) 2,000 yards? Come on, man. Really? 2,000? Okay. That's great to have goals, great to have dreams and aspirations, but is 2,000 realistic? Well, with five games left in the season for the Miami Dolphins, he's at 1,481 receiving yards. Wow. So he's got 519 yards that he needs in the remaining five games, which – is an average of 103.8 per game. Now, let me just say this to you. He is the fifth player in NFL history with five games of 150 or more receiving yards in a season, joining Tim Brown in 97, Jerry Rice in 1995, Antonio Brown in 2017, and Roy Green in 1984. So far this year, he's got the most receiving yards by a player in the team's first 12 games of the season, in the Super Bowl era, he's the fifth player in NFL history with at least 1,400 receiving yards in the team's first 12 games of the season, joining Charlie Hennigan in 1961, wow. Pro Football Hall of Famer Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch in 1951, Lance Allworth in 1965, and Calvin Johnson, your Calvin Johnson, in 2012. And right now he's got 1,481. Calvin Johnson, your guy, had 1,428. So Tyreek Hill... Wow. has got more than Calvin Johnson did in that incredible year. He's doing it every week. He's If he stays healthy, he's getting two. He might get 2,000 this weekend for all yeah. we know, the way he rolls. <laughs> That's the way it kind of goes. He's he's at a different level right now. He is incredible at what he does, and we can just sit back and watch. And I would also say this on a separate note, for all those who play fantasy football, if you have Tyreek Hill, you're loving this, and if you're going against him, you're dreading this. So he is the ultimate, ultimate, fantasy football championship league winner right now in addition to being on pace to becoming the next 2000 yard receiver yeah this has been really fun to watch very cool i am all in actually on records being broken even though it is my calvin johnson whose record is going to be broken that's what the nfl is all about let's have new guys come in and set some records i think that's a lot of fun all right topic number four adam schefter let's talk about matt lafleur for a second He needs a pretty solid December right now to stay in the playoff hunt. Mm -hmm. In case you didn't know this, and I know you did, but anybody listening, Packers have won three straight, and the Vikings have dropped two in a row. Both teams are now six and six. The wild card is on the line. Do you know what Matt LaFleur's December record looks like, Adam Schefter? Well, this is the exact point that I wanted to make to you, Daniel. Matt LaFleur in the month of December as the Packers head coach is 16 and 0. He is, he what? is, he is the 2007 New England Patriots in December. He is the 1972 <laughs> Miami Dolphins in December. Get off his block. Get off his lawn. Nobody beats Matt LaFleur in December. Unbeaten. 16-0. and 0. Now think That's about crazy. that. Some of that is Aaron Rodgers, and some of that also is scheduling quirks because they did lose a game they had to have last year to your Detroit Lions, but that was in January, yeah, not yeah. December, right? But 16-0 and 0 in December. who do, Who's unbeaten in December other than Santa Claus? Nobody. <laughs> 
if there is any month of the year that you want to go undefeated as a football coach, it is in December, down the stretch, getting your team ready to make a playoff push. I can't believe that we're in a spot right now, Adam. I thought for sure it was going to be the Vikings as the wildcard team. We're in a spot where the Packers absolutely have a chance to control their own destiny here with the way that Matt LaFleur runs this ship. And they play at the Giants this week on Monday Night Football, come home to play Tampa Bay on December 17th, mm-hmm. play at Carolina on December 24th, at Minnesota on New Year's Eve, and then home for Chicago the last weekend of the season. So when you look at that, at New York, Tampa, at Carolina, at Minnesota, Chicago, like three and two is certainly realistic. Four and one is possible. Definitely. And let's Definitely. see what Mr. December himself can do here if he can add on to 16 and 0, which is pretty incredible. Wow. Incredible. I love seeing that. All right. Topic number five, Adam, the Patriots right now feel like they're about as bad as it gets. The quarterback situation just looks awful for the Patriots right now. They will have a very high draft pick in the 2024 NFL draft. What does the future of this Patriots team look like? And will it include Bill Belichick? Well, this is the dreariest season that the Patriots have had in a long, long time. Now, I used to go to the old stadium in Foxborough uh, before Gillette Stadium was built. And I remember being there in the early 90s for a game where Hugh Millen, then the Patriots quarterback, ran around on a Sunday night game against Denver and lost the game. And they, they people in New England don't know this because they won so much, but they were losers. They were, they were pe- perpetually one of the worst teams not just in football, but all the sport. It was dreary. It was, they had the locker room scandal with their old owner and sexist, disgusting remarks that he made to a sports reporter from the New York Daily News named Lisa. They were a disgrace of a franchise until the Crafts took them over. And, and this year, on a football standpoint, they've been terrible. But yeah. it may turn out to be, again, a victory in disguise because now – they're in position to get a top two pick. Now they're in position to get a quarterback. Now they're in position to get either Caleb Williams or Drake May, who are universally regarded as the top two quarterback prospects in the 2024 NFL draft. And then you can begin to turn the page. So New England's losing on Sunday. Like they lost to the Chargers this past year. That was a victory. That was a victory because the Cardinals won in Pittsburgh. Yeah. The head of the Patriots. In the draft race, New England locked in to a top two pick here. And now they play Thursday night in Pittsburgh. And they don't want to hear it because they believe in a winning culture there. But a losing culture is good for a winning culture for years to come. Now, the question of whether that's going to involve Bill Belichick or not. Look, this is a Robert Kraft decision, a Jonathan Kraft decision. And they're going to decide here what they want to do and how they want to proceed forward and we'll see what they ultimately decide i remember when i covered the denver broncos back in the day and dan reeves who was a great coach was a fixture in denver and i remember pat bullen made the decision to fire him and i remember speaking to mr bullen who was just tremendous as an owner and i said why did you decide this and he said i wanted to take my franchise back i wanted my franchise back and i just wonder if that's the point that the crafts are at. And we don't know what they're thinking. We'll find out. There's two clear paths. One, they can take their franchise back. Or two, they can leave Bill Belichick in place, go get that top two quarterback, and just start the cycle over again. And that's up to them. And we're going to hear here in the next five, six weeks what they believe is the right path and the right course of action to take. Wow. Really interesting to see what the Patriots are going to do, especially with how long-tenured Bill has been there and the way that they have been a fixture uh, within the NFL for a while. So interesting, very interesting, Adam Schefter. All right, last one, topic number six of our six-pack this week. Eagles just lost a huge game to the 49ers, still the number one team in the NFL. And they did add Shaq Leonard, by the way. I wanted to say that. But it has not been a super easy road to 10-2. and They've had to definitely deal with some adversity. When you look at this team right now, Philly, at this point of the season, what do you see, Adam? Well, here's the thing. Every year that the Eagles have won the Super Bowl, they've had a period here late in the season where they've had to overcome something. Think about this. When they went to the Super Bowl back in, 
I don't remember the year, 2006, 7, 8, whatever it was, and they played New England, Terrell Owens broke his leg late in the season. And everybody wondered how they were going to overcome that. And he came back, and they still got to the Super Bowl, right? So they persevered. Now, let's flash back to when they actually won the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz was playing at an MVP level. Yeah. He's in Los Angeles, running for the end zone, tears his ACL. Oh, my God, what are they going to do? Well, they call on Nick Foles. They rally. They win the Super Bowl. They overcome the adversity. Well, every team, almost every team, overcomes a period like this where there's a late-season stretch and they get better or they get worse. The 49ers went through a stretch about a month ago, lost three straight games. There were people calling for Brock Purdy's job. I remember reading the transcripts of Kyle Shanahan's press conference. Why are you sticking with Brock Purdy? Are you sure that he's the right man for the job? Kyle laughed, laughed at the question. Okay. And now in Philadelphia, it's like, well, what's going on here? They lost on Sunday. They may lose Sunday night again, Daniel. Hmm. So they're going through a period here where they're being tested, where they're going to have a chance to answer the critics and either they'll rise up like some of the great Eagle teams of the past or they won't. But the fact of the matter is when you look at the NFC, to me, there are four really good teams. There's the 49ers, there's the Eagles, there's the Cowboys, and there is another team going through a little bit of adversity lately, your Detroit Lions. So let's see which one of those teams gets stronger here as the season goes on. We'll get a glimpse of the Eagles on Sunday night. And by the way, another tough spot for them. For the second straight week, the Eagles get a team coming off a 10-day rest period. They were playing their third oh, game in brutal. 13 days, the Eagles were, and they played an 49ers team coming off a Thanksgiving night game that had 10 days to get ready. Now, the Eagles play another tough physical game against the 49ers and now have to go to Dallas to face a Cowboys team that last played last Thursday night against Seattle and the previous Thursday against Thanksgiving and has 10 days to gear up for Sunday night's matchup against the Eagles. And speaking of Sunday night, a man who will be on the scene for that game, a man who has been responsible for the growth of Deron Bland, the play of this Dallas defense, a man who knows this rivalry about as well as anybody else having played cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles, having now coached in Dallas. We now will be joined by the former NFL cornerback, now the defensive backs coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Al Harris. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Hey, first of all, congratulations on the way things are going. You guys are rolling. Got a big game coming up next week. How's it feel to be hosting your former team here coming up in the next week? Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to the opportunity. Um, you know, it, it's crazy because it, it is a big game. But when you look at it, shucks, every week's a big game. <laughs> every week's a big game. Right? You're coming off a big game against Seattle. You're coming off a big game against Washington. Yes. It's a big game every week, right? Yes. Can you imagine how big the stakes are going to be once you get to the postseason now? Holy cow. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Right? Yep. That's going to be unbelievable. Can you describe to me how Deron Bland has stepped into this role this year and become a candidate for the Defensive Player of the Year? 
I tell you what, um, with this with this young man, um, it's never too big for him, which which you know is hard for a young guy, fifth round pick, um, dreaming dreaming about playing in the NFL. You know, gets his shot, does a great job, but it's never too big for him. Uh, always even kill. He stays neutral. So I think his personality is a, is a big key um, to what's going on with him right now. Do you remember the moment when you lost Trevon Diggs in practice? Yes. The exact what was that like? <clears throat> sucked. Seriously. Um, we, were, we were in one-on-ones, and it was actually it was the last rep. And when it happened, um, you wouldn't have you – didn't, you didn't think that um, – you didn't think that he um, was going to be down. Uh, you didn't think he was going to be down. But we came back, uh, went went on through practice, and I remember Jim coming out and he was like, you know, shook his head and gave me like the – and, bro, when I tell you – Jim the trainer? Yes. Yep. My my heart just dropped to my stomach. And um, so I went to Q. I went to Q. I was like, Q, okay, I'm – you know, I'm gonna go ahead and check on Trey. He was like, "Yeah, go ahead, go ahead," and um, went in. And when he said that, I was like, "Oh my!" He's like my ACL. I'm like, "Oh my goodness, bro!" Um, and it went from there. Like that's when it started. <laughs> that, that was a wild day. That was a wild day. A wild day. You'll always remember that one, right? But then, like. I don't know how you process something like that. Whenever there's a devastating injury, it happens at practice, and it's early in the year. The guys lost for this. You feel bad for the guy and the team. It just, it's, it's a lot. It is. It is. Um, one thing I can say with um, the way, like, the way that Q kind of runs the ship is, uh, like, you're not expecting for bad things, but when the bad things happen. We're kind of already like, all right, what, what do we do now? What's the solution? What's the solution? And I think, you know, with us staying with that type of mindset, ease the plane just a little, you know. Um, and then the way that Bland's been playing, you know, that was, yeah. a, that was big. That was did, big. You have any, did you have any idea that Duran would be capable of this? Yes, honestly. Not so much. We were not the pick that had many inter, um, interception touchdowns, but – to touch the ball, get into the ball, I did. I did. And actually, his his goals, you know, give him goals at the beginning of the year, um, even before Trey went down. I think I had him at eight. eight. I think I had him at eight for the season, eight interceptions for the season. Um, so, yeah, goal-wise, man, he's on it. Wow. Eight. And what's he got? He's got six now? No, he, he, had, he got eight. He's got, he got eight. eight. At eight right now. Oh, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to pick up any more passes then, right? No, we need, we need two more. We need two more. <laughs> now, Al, you played 14 years as a cornerback in the NFL. There aren't a lot of people who play that long at the level you did who want to go into coaching afterwards. Why did you want to make this your living? Well, the thing is, is that um, probably it was probably around about year nine or ten. Um, and I was, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do afterwards because you see guys, you know, they, they find their passions in other spots. I wasn't going to go to a nine to five. Um, and when you think about it, I spent my entire life honing in this craft, uh, mindset wise, uh, body wise towards this goal. And now, you know, when, when that is not there anymore, I am an expert at this. I spent my life up to this point doing this. Why switch to something else? And I just, I, just, I just couldn't. So, um, like I, I love it. I love it. You do because the hours are crazy. The hours are insane. <laughs> insane. People don't realize it, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's a total sacrifice. It is. You, you, you really, you're sacrificing your family time. You're sacrificing your family. Um, and it, it's great that we, we work in a business to where, you know, your family can see you at times, but not see you. 
because, you know, with um, FaceTime and all of that, you know, you can see them, but uh, like you're gone, you're gone the majority of the day, but majority of their lives pretty much. So you had no hesitation to go into this, despite the fact that you probably could have walked away and done what you wanted after the 14 years were done. You knew you wanted to do this, right? Yes, yes. And and also you played under Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. Was he instrumental in bringing you into coaching? You know what? Uh, I wouldn't say bringing me into coaching, but bringing me here to Dallas, I would say yes. Um, I leaned just for the advice aspect of it as far as going into it yeah. heavily on um, Troy Vincent, uh, was, was, is my mentor huh. as far as player. Um, I reached out to Todd Bowles. Um, yep. I reached out to uh, Emmett Thomas, uh, who's also um, my, my mentor as a coach, and kind of asked those guys, you know, told them what I was doing, to, you know, what they think. And everybody, everybody, before I can finish my sentences, like, hey, go, go right, say, Al, you'll do a great job. Go right at it. And and have you enjoyed it as much as you thought you would? You know what? I got to say, man, I'm having a blast. Uh, you know what I mean? Not just this year, but the the entire time from 2012 when I started to now, I can say, like, I'm having a great time. Um I enjoy the bad days just as much as the good days. You know, you got to accept it all. But um, I would say, yes, yes. I'm having a great time. <laughs> How great does it compare to being a player, Al? Totally different. Um, totally different. You go from using your body and your mind to strictly your mind. Um, and I, I say this all the time. After a game coaching, I am beat. I'm talking really? I'm beat. After a game playing, man, I could probably go to dinner, you know, hang out for a little bit. But after, like, after coaching, bro, you are so tired after the game, like, just from the, the, the brain power that you're using and the emotions, trying to stay neutral throughout a game, it wears you down, wears you down. So coaching takes more out of you in a game than playing a game does? For me, yes, definitely. Wow, definitely. I would never have guessed that. Definitely. Because, see, when you're playing, you, you're you in control. I'm in control of that rep. That uh, I'm in control. When you're coaching, everybody on your guys that you coach, they're in control of what's going to happen, you know what I mean, at the end of that play. Uh, the things you've coached them up on, hey, is he going to remember this? All right, here's a look. Is he going to get this? You know, so the, the unknown kind of drives everything to where you, you'll be exhausted just, just thinking, you know, um, can this guy get this? Did he see this? Um, did I get him prepared enough? Did I tell him about this play? So it definitely, I, I'm more, I'm exhausted after a game coaching opposed to, um, to playing. And do you want to continue to climb the ladder of progression? As a coach, or are you happy using the expertise that you developed during your playing career as a 14-year NFL cornerback doing that? What 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 do you want to do long-term with all this? Just curious. From day one, um, when I got into this, my, my goal was to be a head coach. I never wanted to be a um, coordinator because realistically, um, I can call my own defense as a head coach. But I just think um, – my superpower, as far as connecting with guys, will be utilized in a, a better for for myself and for the guys that I'm in contact with as a head coach. Um, and I've been privileged enough to watch for the last, you know, three years, um, a master, a master at his craft. And I'm talking about Dan, as far as, uh, yes, uh, bringing people together. Um, and then just just staying solid all the way around. Um, like, I, I, that's my calling. I, I really believe that's my calling is to be a head coach. And how far away do you think something like that might be? Do you think like that, or you just continue to just focus in on every day and hope and trust and believe that that opportunity will come out? Well, my, my thing is I, I do 
put everything into what I'm doing right now. And I hope and pray that the opportunity will come. But you know, it's just as well as I do. Like nowadays, you have to be proactive in whatever you do. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, whatever edge I can gain as far as, you know, talking to other guys that have maybe been head coaches or head coaches to give me any insight of what I need to do, things to look to look to get better at, you know what I mean? Those type of things, I, I reach out to guys all the time. I'm just thinking here a second. So if Dan Quinn gets a head coaching job one day, whenever that may be, and he wants to bring you as his coordinator, the idea of being a coordinator doesn't appeal to you, though. So would it not make sense logistically, just from a career path standpoint, to go take a coordinator job, which is the next step to becoming a head coach, or do you wait and just hope to become a head coach? Well, my thing is whatever steps that it takes to get there, you definitely do those. And like with, with Q, you know, if, if Q was to go and get a head coaching job, honestly, in whatever capacity he wanted me to come, yeah, I'm there. I'm there. It could be in Alaska. He could be coaching the Alaskan Bluebirds. And wow. call me, Al, I need you. I'm there. Wow. What is the biggest thing you've picked up from him? Because he's been a head coach. He's now a coordinator. It seems like he's going to get another opportunity here at some point in the near future. What have you learned from him as you pursue your dream of becoming a head coach one day? Actually, man, to just the day-to-day, um, I've, I've never been around someone who works so hard on getting himself better. Um, so like, he reads books, everything is to in order to get him better. And he also pours into us as assistant coaches the same way he does in the players. So, like, as he's going about his daily his daily uh, job, you know, uh, he's making sure, hey, is my pass guy good? Is my run guy good? Uh, even down to the QTs, making sure everybody's in line to kind of have their best day. Like he, he has a good saying to where he's like, uh, Man, it's a good day to throw a good day. And that's every day for him. That's every day. I want to go back to your playing days just a little bit on a few other issues. You played for the Packers from 2003 to 2010. You were with Brett Favre from 2005 to 7, Aaron Rodgers from 2008 to 10. Is the level that Dak Prescott is playing at now reminiscent in any way of the way that either Favre or Rodgers played when you were their teammates in Green Bay? Both, both. He's doing a phenomenal job. So both of those guys, man, that, that like you see a little bit of Favre as far as the, the the older brother out there with the guys, all right? And then you see elements of A-Rod as far as making the check. I'm talking about even some of the, like the mannerisms like I, I look at, but as far as like making the check and going to it, and Dex, that is off the charts right now. So I see a little bit of both of them and, and, and uh, him. As you've watched him, what has been the biggest difference in him elevating his play to a level that not many of us have seen before? This is the best he's ever played in my mind. Comfortable. Comfortable. Yeah, you can tell he's comfortable. And he is, um, like, before, and I like, like, before he was playing quarterback. Right now, like, He's he's playing football, just all all in all. He's he's doing it an excellent job, an excellent job. Just seeing everything, seeing from the the guys splits. I watch him make checks, you know, and uh, just looking at the quarterback play. He's doing everything that he needs to do. It's it's incredible. Who's the quarterback you've ever seen play at the highest level? You played with some great ones. Uh, a Rod, a Rod, yeah. And why him? And then. The thing is, is uh, the arm talent we probably won't see again, you know what I mean, for a while um, that Aaron has. And just uh, watching Aaron from his first couple years to the guy he was when he started, when he was a starter, you can tell that this guy's been working on his craft because, you know what I mean, the checks are there, the reads are there uh, right away. and He's getting the ball where he needs it to go. And I want to go back also to your incident with Matt Hasselbeck in overtime. I'm sure you've been asked about it a thousand times during the course of your career. But Matt Hasselbeck in overtime, 
basically says, we're going to get the ball and we want the ball and we're going to score. What do you remember about that day and that incident when you had the pick six on him moments after his words are captured on national television? Now, check this out. You gonna th- you think you're going to think I'm fibbing, but seriously, we actually worked. We worked this worked the play as far as the read versus an all out blitz. So we're in there. We're talking about it, talking about it. And um, there's only two routes you can run. Once they check, once they see the blitz is coming, we want them to see the blitz. You're either gonna run the slant or the hitch. You know what I mean? So I didn't, I didn't hear the uh, the corn toss. Honestly, I didn't find out about that until the uh, the next day. Oh, so I, really? I, yeah, I didn't even know. But we got all the stars lined up. All the stars lined up. Got the check. He saw it. You know what I mean? There was guy ran the hitch and actually ran it too deep. So if he had, if he would have had proper depth, you know what I mean, to the quarterback's footwork, you know they may have had a shot, but that route should have been around about six six yards. He was more at about eight. And you take it to the house, and what's that like to win a playoff game with a walk off pick six? Awesome, awesome. Any any pick six is awesome, but that <laughs> was yeah, that was that was special, man. It really was. Um, you know, to diagnose the play, to trust your reads, and, you know, everything show up, it was great. And how did you find out the next day that he had said, we want the ball and we're going to score? You know, I saw it on um, ESPN. Like, they were, everybody was talking about it. And I was like, if anybody knows Matt, man, great guy. Great guy. Great guy. Great guy. So I was like, oh, man, he put his foot in his mouth then. Like, <laughs> it's like oh. Did you ever have the occasion to talk to him about it after that? Uh, we see when we see each other. Uh, I try not to bring it up. <laughs> I try <laughs> not to bring it up. But when we see each other, you know what I mean. Uh, you know what I mean. We may say something here or there. And Al, before I let you go, as somebody who's played for the Eagles from 1998 to 2002, and now is coached in Dallas, how would you properly describe this rivalry? Intense. And it's a and it's real. It is real. Um, Dallas fans uh, hate the Eagles. <laughs> Eagles fans hate everybody. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it is. It's really intense. And um, the guys the guys are in tune to it. You know what I mean. So it, it's it's a different thing when you when you got just the fans. But the guys, as far as in the locker room, you could have maybe two or three guys like, yeah, this is a rivalry game. But when you get the entire building, like, man, this is it's Eagles week. Like, this is a this is this is it. This is the game. This is the game. See, I remember when I covered the Broncos for almost 16 years, you could feel when it was Raiders week. It was a feel in the building. And I'm going to guess that when you played with the Packers, was it a little bit like that for the Packers and the Bears too? Yep, yep, exact same, the exact same. Like you, you, you feel you feel the build up throughout the week, but um, just the history of it, just the history of it. And I think I think Mike, um, uh, Coach McCarthy does a great job. You know what I mean? To where when we have these rivalry games, man, Mike may have tape showing the team from the first matchup. You know what I mean? Takes it way back. He takes it way back. But keeping guys knowing, like, hey man, this is real. Like this is this is it right here now. Get in tune to it. Cause a lot of the younger guys, they don't really know. You know, they don't, they don't really know. Um, especially like the first year guys, second year guys. But this particular rivalry, you can trust they will be educated on. So they're gonna see highlights of what? Like Randall Cunningham and Donovan McNabb and or or even back. To like Chuck Bednarik, like are we talking that? What are we talking? Man, there? You, you may, he may, you may get Harold Carmichael running. Wow. Around. Yes, uh, you can see Harold Carmichael running. Like he, he'll go back. He'll go back. Wilbur right. Montgomery. All of the guys, man. Herm Edwards. You, he'll go back. Really? And how much highlights? Will, like, is it like a one continuous thing, or how does it work? How does he present it to the team? Well, we'll come. He'll come up for the team meeting and um, you know, uh, address the team, um, do his normal stuff that he does for the team meetings, 
And then he was like, hey, guys, look, man, we have a very important game coming up. And as you know, this is a rivalry game. <laughs> and, guys, I'm telling you, it gets, it's, it's quiet now because they know, you know, the highlight takes about to come on. And, man, it goes through it. And he really, he, Mike does an excellent job, excellent job of setting the tone for the week. So, you know, yeah, that, that just sets the tone right there. CL, you, we, we've got something to put into your bag for when you become a head coach right there. You're going to be you're going to be putting up those rivalry tapes when you're the head coach of that team and you're playing your rival that week, you're going to do the same thing. That's exactly right. Right? That's the way to do that. Exactly right. And, and before I let you go, Dallas is one of the best teams in the league this year. Yes. Can you imagine what it would be like? I love to ask this to people. To win the Super Bowl in your city, would it mean the most to Jerry? Would it mean the most to Dak? Would it mean the most to somebody else there or the, the city in jail? What would a win there mean in your mind right now? And who would it impact most? Oh, man. A win here um, for Super Bowl. Bro, when that happens, this city will be literally turned upside down. It will be turned upside down. I think, uh, of course, Mr. Jones, it'll be huge for him, huge for him. Because one thing we know about Mr. Jones, he wants to win Super Bowls, not just games. He wants to win Super Bowls. So I, I think it would definitely impact Mr. Jones, um, especially as long as he's been at it. But for the city, coaches, players, everything, man, it would be it, – that will be everything for us, everything. How many rings do you have? Two? One? One. One. Yep. And where do you keep it? Um, Actually, in my watch box. I keep it in my watch box. Here's something else you could add to your bag. You get to the spot where you're playing close enough for all those rings. You take that ring out. You show it to your DBs there, Al. Say, this is what this is what, this is is what what you guys can get if we come through. There you go. Hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm taking all notes. I'm taking my notes. Yeah, see, you can make me your assistant. When you get to take that job, right? <laughs> hey, Al, I want to thank you very much for the time today. Lots of luck this upcoming week against the Philadelphia Eagles. Appreciate you being with us today. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. And there he is, the Dallas Cowboys defensive backs coach, Al Harris. What a career. What a career. Originally drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the sixth round of the 1997 draft, 169th Overall pick, Harris played 194 games with 128 starts for the Eagles, Packers, Dolphins, and Rams. He finished his NFL career with 469 tackles, 21 interceptions, 148 passes defensed. That pick six in that playoff game against Matthew Hasselbeck, where Matthew Hasselbeck said, we're going to get the ball and we're going to score. So Al Harris now has the chance to make more NFL memories, and we thank him for his time. There'll be that memory from this Sunday night. And what about last weekend, the college football selection show, the process, the committee coming up with those four teams, Daniel. Unbelievable, yeah. right? Like, as a Michigan guy, I was very happy to see Michigan get in, which, of course, it was going to. Get the number one seed, great. Got to be honest. Don't like the draw getting Alabama at four. And this may speak to ultimately whether the committee did or didn't get it right. I would much rather play Florida State in Alabama <laughs> in the Rose Bowl on January 1st, but Alabama it is. And to be the best, you have to beat the best. And so Michigan's going to get a chance to have to shine in the college football playoff in a way that it hasn't done in the previous two years and play Alabama. And I feel bad for Florida State. And you know what? There was a lesson in there, Daniel. There was a lesson in there. I think their head coach, Mike Norvell, should have been less forthcoming about their quarterback's injury. He should have said, it's a knee, it's an ankle, it's week to week, and we're going to see. And if he had come out and said that Jordan Travis's injury was week to week, would Florida State then have gotten the number four spot? And then would that lead, in the future, other college head coaches, football coaches are notoriously guarded anyway, to be even more clandestine about some of the injuries that they've suffered? Like maybe this is some motivation for other people not to say exactly what's wrong if the committee is going to hold it against you and it's a big-time player, right? What well, Do you think it would have been different if he had said this guy was week to week? Maybe. 
Yeah, no, I I think that you have a very valid point. A little bit of coach speak in that situation could go a long ways for what your team is looking for there. Uh, and as somebody that doesn't watch enough college football because I'm so focused on the NFL throughout the season, understanding that it feels like Michigan, not just you as a Michigan fan, Adam, but it feels like Michigan as a team would rather play FSU given all of those things. So this Alabama matchup is going to be a tough one. But kind of like you said, you want to be the best, you got to go out there and beat the best. I feel like when I think about it right now, everything that Alabama and Nick Saban is, that's going to be a great matchup for Michigan. It's just going to be a great college football playoff, I still think. I think it's going to be fantastic in spite of the, the selection committee. It'll be two really good games. And any draw is a good draw. You know, also when I walked into the ESPN war room on Sunday to watch the college football selection show, and they were talking about January 1st. I'm like, what's our Monday night game that night? Like, oh, there is no Monday night game. Oh, hold on. There's no Monday night game? I didn't even realize that. So, wait, there is the chance that I could somehow figure out a way to get to Pasadena to go to that game? So, uh, this morning I asked my I'm like, Dylan, how would you feel about going to the Rose Bowl? Okay. My son would love to go. So, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling it out. It's possible. Like, I never think it's possible – for me to go on a Monday in season anywhere to go see anything, no less a sporting event on the other side of the country. But I'm mulling it, Daniel. I'm mulling it to see whether or not this is something that we could pull off. And there's a couple of stories that I've wanted to work on anyway out West. Maybe that'll be a little bit of impetus to get out West and work on one story that I've wanted to do in addition uh, to going to the Rose Bowl. And we'll see how that works out. All right. We want to thank the Defensive backs coach of the Dallas Cowboys, the former Eagles cornerback, a man who will get to see his two franchises square off on Sunday night in Dallas in what should be one of the great games of this weekend, Al Harris. I want to thank the host of the Fantasy Focus podcast, though I appreciate his guidance and leadership on the six-pack, and as well as my great producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah Abbott, for putting together this podcast, as well as you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we are scheduled to be joined by the first year offensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals, Drew Petzing, as the Cardinals come off their bye and get ready for a closing stretch. They're coming off their big win and we'll see how they make out here in the future. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well, stay safe, and have a great week.